You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Well, I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that um, the uh, team did you proud. That God, God was so good to us, and I was very proud of uh, Mike, Marcy, and Andy, and and uh, we were all asked to do things that were beyond our comfort zones, and and uh, I, I think I taught eighteen hours in the two different conferences. And um, got to know Biplap very well because he was my right-hand man uh, translator. And uh, it was a blessing. And then uh, as well, uh, preaching in so many places, uh, not just Sunday mornings and evenings, but you'd go to midweek uh, to a plantation, a tea plantation, and a village church would gather in a home. And I was just thinking, we're going to bring greetings and, you know. But then all of a sudden, they want to worship and they want to pray and they want you to preach. And so... It was a blessing in so many ways, and uh, uh, the, the the Far Corners Ministry uh, is is a great organization. The, the strength of any partnership really is determined number one by the f- people on the front lines that are doing ministry, and number two by the relationships that we have with those people. And I can tell you now that um, we have quality people that are on the front lines with Far Corners Ministry. And uh, we have good relationship. And uh, we, we see, uh, I think, over 20 people now from White Ridge Baptist Church. They told me this. I didn't. They, they, 20 people or so have been over to India now, to West Bengal. And uh, they remember all of you by name. I mean, they are delighted to see uh, more people from our church. And they are, uh, it's global discipleship. It's, it's us learning from them and, uh, and them learning something from us. <clears throat> and so... We're blessed and uh, continue to pray that God will uh, guide Far Corners Ministry. There, well, well, Ginny was there. She had the chance to see some government officials. We're waiting to hear how that goes because we really want to see the doors opening so that uh, those that couldn't go because of visa uh, restrictions and that uh, are going to be able to go in the future. I'd like to jump into the third part of the journey for us. We had a conference in Siliguri. We had some time in Alipurduar visiting tea plantation churches and city ministries. And then we went uh, to uh, Jaigon, which is in the very northeast corner of India. And it's on the northern border of that West Bengal. And it's, it's on the border with Bhutan. Some of the pictures that you saw was a big ornate gate that leads to Bhutan from Jaigon. Jaigon is a city of maybe 250 to 300,000 people. It is an incredible place. And the very first evening that we got there, I, I had a moment. I had a moment when uh, I, I realized uh, this, is, this is culture shock or something. I went out uh, in the evening and it was about 8 or 8.30 in a, all the very dusty, very dirty city, uh, crowded. All the little shops were still open and I'm walking up and down and I'm, I'm walking by two young men uh, with shaved heads and scarlet robes, and I'm assuming they must be uh, monks, uh, uh, Buddhist monks. Uh, Then I walk a little further, and right beside our hotel is a a shrine, a temple of Hindu temple. It's uh, to the the god, the Hindu god Kali, which is the god of power, and the the West Bengali most... most, uh, uh, honored, re- revered God is Kali, and um, and the, the worshipers would come in this big open area, and ahead of the shrine was a bell hanging from the ceiling, and people would come in, and, and they'd ring the bell, 
And my hotel room was right beside that. I overlooked the roof of this temple. And, and uh, I'd hear the bell constantly. And, and uh, it was summoning their God. They were going to f- pray to their Hindu God. And then in the morning at 4.40, exactly every morning, I, I heard the, the call to prayer from the Muslim mosque in, in, um, in Jaigon. Uh, most of these are immigrants from Bangladesh. And just incredible religious pluralism that is in this city. And I, I hit the wall. I had this moment. I, I realized that as I walked by these people, walked by these places, that I, would, I have no idea how I would, if it, even if I could speak their language, how I would engage to share with them the love of Jesus. I talk about eternal life and present the gospel. And so uh, there were these moments like this. And uh, walking into our one hotel and in the foyer, there was, I counted five or six different uh, gods and idols. Uh, some very big, like floor models, and some just little in the corner, pictures. And the first day that I was there, I just was so aware of this. But then by the time that we left that area, I walked right through the foyer in the lobby of the hotel, not even noticing. And the point I'm making is is that I think that that's one of the values of missions is that you go in a cross-cultural mission experience and you have fresh eyes to see things. But then the, the, the darkness somehow gets darker and you stop seeing it. And as we, as we think about Winnipeg, we, we probably see darkness spiritually around us all the time, living in a spiritual darkness here in Winnipeg. But we don't see it because we, we, we live in it. It's, if someone came from Asia, northeast India somewhere, and, and came here and, and walked around, they would probably be just as identifying of our gods and our idols as we are of theirs. They would stick out just as much. The consumerism, the glitz, the materialism, the wealth, and the things that we just walk by and we're blind to. I think that's what would likely happen. And so what have we stopped noticing? There is a religious darkness in a city like Jaigon, but there is an irreligious darkness in Winnipeg. And, and darkness is darkness regardless of whether it has a religious face and a pluralistic religious face or a secular face and of another nature. And as I was just going through this time, I, I, I began to think about a course I took <clears throat> on, on anthropology when I was doing my doctor of ministry studies and had to read a guy named Clifford Geertz who talks about ethnology, talks about doing a thin or a thick description of culture. Uh, anthropologists do that. And of course, it's not, it's not a really hard concept to understand. If, you bring it, if they bring the same idea into Bible study, those of you who know inductive Bible study methodology, it's the same idea. You, you, you start on the surface of a text of Scripture and you're just observing. And then you want to take it deeper and so you go to interpretation. And then you take it further and you say, well, what does it mean to me? And, and that's, that's really what a cultural anthropologist does in a new culture with a thick and thin description. Thin description is walking into a new place like Jaigon and noticing idols, noticing monks, noticing Hindu temples and shrines, noticing and listening to bells ringing and and mosques calling out for prayer and things like that. It's all surface. 
There's no meaning to it yet at all. That's thin description. And a mission trip basically affords us the opportunity to get out of our zone, out of our culture, out of our land, go somewhere, land in another place, and take it all in. Just be eyes and ears and nose and, and watch and journal and take it in. And, that, and then you leave, you get off the plane, and you get in the plane and you go back home and that's, you get back to Canada and you've got thin description. You only understand that people group and their religious things and all the stuff in a surface way. And that's when the hard work begins. Now, get beneath the surface to the meaning. They use the example of winking. A wink is simply a wink. But what's the meaning of the wink? We had some interesting stories. You can ask Mike about a hand signal besides that one that that he got into trouble with. They mean different things, don't they? And so in in regards to this, the the point is that we've got to go deeper. And would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 17? I think that Paul had a moment when he was in Athens that was similar to my moment in Gigan. Because Paul arrives in Athens and he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17. And as he's walking around the city of Athens, verse 16, he says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. I was distressed in Gigan. So he he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some, Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And Paul goes on to talk then about the God, the living and true God of creation and how he makes people like you and I, every culture, every nation. And he goes on and he takes in a, in a, we probably don't have the whole sermon in our Bible, but all the way through, Paul ends with judgment and resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Jesus. And as he's going through, they're listening, they're riveted. But at the end of the text, it says that some of them sneered and some of them believed. Some of them believed. But it's interesting, this idea of the unknown God that Paul happens upon. I think that in many ways, we have unknown gods in every culture. We have different things that we don't put on maybe the sign unknown God. But but basically, that's what we find in every culture. We have a people that are seeking to know the true and living God, their creator. There's a homing system in every soul that is looking to find rest in its creator. And it, 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 it results in different cultures over generations in having different religious paths. Now, it was interesting because on the last day we had a, 
a Hindu man that was uh, our guide for, uh, we were a tourist for one day. And we saw different sites and he was very adamant about trying to convey to us more about India. And, and we got a bit of a thicker description of, of India and of Hinduism and this way of life that they ascribe to. And, and in the midst of it all, you, you could tell that this was a man-made religion that was trying to build a bridge to God. And, and if, if we could summarize in such broad terms the, the reason that I'm a Christian, the reason why I believe Christ stands head and shoulders above every other religion is because of what we're celebrating starting today. It's all about the incarnation. And next week I want to talk more about this. It is the incarnation that makes Jesus and Christian faith stand out so far from any other religion that tries to make its way to God. God has come down. God has made himself known. God has revealed himself in the person of his son Jesus. And so John, the apostle, when he, when he begins to write about his Christmas story, not the kind that we read in Matthew and Luke's account, but in John's account, the one we heard that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He says in John chapter 1 verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness didn't understand it. You see, that's a commentary of every culture. That's a commentary of every culture. And in the not understanding it, we build our structures of trying to appease guilty conscience, trying to know the Creator, trying to give an account for a life that we know at the end of it all, we're somehow going to stand before a being and give an account for it. You see, the darkness could not understand it. That's the unknown God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, it said. And so this, this, this unknown God is made known. The darkness shines, the light shines in the darkness. The word became flesh, John 1.14, and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the, one of, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the light that shines upon every culture and every people And if you carry John's idea further into verse 18 of chapter 1, we read an incredible statement. And that is, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. That's an incredible statement. The the word is exegete. Jesus exegetes God, the Father. You know, it's like coming to a text of Scripture and having no clue what the author is talking about. And you do the work of exegesis, and somehow this thing becomes clear. If it was not for Jesus, we would have nothing more than a thin description of God. We would know God only according to creation. Somebody must have made all this. It didn't just happen. We would have a witness of God in ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 2 that our conscience bears witness. We would have the thin description of God. And we would know something about Him, but we could not know Him. And the only way that was made possible was because of the incarnation. The only way it was made possible 
was because God came down. He came down. He entered your misery and mine. He made God the Father known. He gives us a thick description of the Father. If you want to know God, you must look at Jesus. That's why we make so much out of Jesus. That's why we can't mess around on Jesus. That's why we have our, we're called Christ ones. Because He matters. And, and very little else does. And so Jesus comes and He exegetes God. He makes Him known. He gives us a thick, a genuine, a real description of God. And so instead of being cultures and peoples and societies throughout the ages that grope in the darkness to the unknown God, trying to figure out how to put it together, knowing that somehow I'm going to give an account, so I sacrifice more animals or I make more images. God's made himself known. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not understood it. Friends, that's the task of the church. That's our job. Make him known. Shine his glory. Let his worth, the eternal son of God, let his worth be known to my next door neighbor, to the person I work with. I came out of the study of Acts chapter 17 after I read and reread what Paul faced in Athens, and I, I no longer felt intimidated by two young monks from Bhutan. I no longer felt intimidated by the bells that were ringing next to my hotel room door. I, never, I didn't feel intimidated by the call to prayer at 4.40 every morning when the mosque opened up. I woke up and I thought to myself, my God... My God, it's worthy. So much more than that, God. I got to get up. I got to pray to my God. He's the living God. He's the creator God. He's the redeemer God. He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only God, really. He's the only God. And people are worshiping Blocks of stone and idols and notions and ideas. And closer to home, consumerism and things and activities. Friends, there's a God to be made known. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not understood. You know, I believe that in every culture, <clears throat> that the things that are on the surface... The things that are on the surface in the thin description of our society that we, we can just walk down from here one block and you could name them. The things that are on the surface are symbols that give indication of deeper meaning. 
that they will tell about the appetites of the people that live in that society. You could go anywhere in the world and do the same exercise and you will come to the same conclusions. You can walk one block somewhere in the world and you can take notes of the externals, the thin description, the surface things, and you can make meaning out of it if you just follow down to the root and find the thick description of that and you'll find what they have exchanged the living God for. That you will find what Paul talks in Romans 1 and 2 about. That they have exchanged the living God for idols that are to look like birds and reptiles and things like that. You can do that in our culture too. Let's not think that we're, we're somehow more enlightened. Let's not think that we're somehow going overseas because we're somehow more advanced. As you heard from the testimonies of the others that are on the team, we learn so much. We have such a deficit in faith. What have we exchanged the living God for? That's the question. And so let's not be deceived, friends. What have we exchanged the living God for? Would you stand with me? Could I have the worship team come and, and maybe lead in a song to conclude? And um, I, I told Pastor Elf as, I was, <laughs> as he came in today, I said, the sermon is half-baked. I said, it's in process. It's not done yet. And he said, you know, that's, that's the way we should probably preach most of our sermons because our lives are that way too. And so, Pastor Elf, at the end of this song, would you conclude with benediction? May God bless you. Let's just pray, take a word to pray here. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your, your reality, your glory. Oh, God, it shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not understand it. And, oh, God, we pray that you would Shine your light upon our own hearts and minds so that we would, we would be your witnesses, O oh God, to our neighbors. Lord, let us not be intimidated by other peoples in our city that are from other cultures and lands and religions. For God, the gospel of your creating and redeeming presence in this world is the same for all nations. For all flesh shall see the glory of the Lord and the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It is so, Lord. We thank you for the gospel. We pray that you'd bless us, Lord, as we get ready to conclude this service, hear our praise, and receive our thanks for what you've done in Jesus. Amen. We would have a struggle if somebody asked us to pray for their healing. We're just glad somebody else had to go to India instead of ourselves. Because inside of us, we have some emptiness, some voids, some longings that can't be expressed. We have some cry of the soul. And just like so many Christmas gifts from years gone by that mean nothing to us now, we come to you this Christmas time and ask that you give us enough faith to let you come in and fill our deepest void. Amen.